This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate. Morena no mai kiti korero. Welcome to the catch up on Manawatu People's Radio. Tereo irarangi onatangata o Manawatu. Ko Fraser Gregoho. Uh, it is a Friday morning. We turn our attention to politics, although I think, you know, everyone's been attention has been uh, rather political this week. But um, certainly uh, this week we're talking to MP for Rangatiki, Ian McKelvey. Good morning to you, sir. And good morning to you, Fraser. Um, and now, first things first, there are some big issues to discuss, but one must congratulate you on your new uh, role in the House. You are the Assistant Speaker of the House of Representatives, uh, a role that you neither applied for nor particularly aspired to. Well, no, I didn't. <laughs> um, you never know. Surprises come sometimes. and I've got to say, my first couple of days, it's been one of all one of quite enjoyed. I mean, it's quite interesting. Makes you concentrate, put it that way. Yes, uh, and and one might argue quite peculiar for uh, the Speaker of the House, Trevor Mallard, a Labour uh, MP, to pick someone from the opposition benches. Well, I think especially as um, he already has um, uh, one of our uh, assistant speakers, and of course he's got a very large uh, back bench himself, or well, the Labour Party has, so... Yeah, so I mean, I th- it's interesting, and uh, you know, I suppose it'll wait. So, well, it's a, it's a privilege, and it's, uh, um, I, I think it's a very interesting thing to do. So, I'm very fortunate. Are you fully uh, briefed and aware of all the necessary rules and things, or are there a team of people to point out when someone might have stepped over the line, and it's just up to you to enforce it? Uh, when someone steps over the line, I think that's my role. But there's certainly a very good team of people to to guide me through everything else. Uh, I think that I'm stepping over the line really as a judgment matter, and I think that that's something that the Speaker, whoever's in the chair at the time, will insert their own standards on the House, and mine will be different than others. Um, I come from a different generation than some, but although the same as the Speaker, funnily enough. Um, but I think that, um, I think, you know, such a strong team of support staff that, that make sure the place operates efficiently, and, and, uh, and you certainly uh, are well breached. Because uh, the, the Speaker of the House, uh, and subsequently you as Assistant Speaker, if he is uh, out of commission for any reason, uh, it's not just about chairing all the, the debates and things. I mean, we've seen uh, in the past week or so with the uh, illegal occupation of the Parliament grounds that the, the Speaker of the House is sort of responsible for the whole building. Well, the Speaker of the House is like the Chief Executive of the whole House, or the Chairman of the Board, I suppose, of the, of the parliamentary precinct and all of the parliamentary services. So the Speaker's role is a very um, significant role. And, of course, with these, uh, I guess, uncertain times that COVID creates and the fact that we've now got a a house that can work remotely, um, in other words, we're allowed to come into the house from anywhere in New Zealand, and I will do that at 2 o'clock this afternoon, um, the the pressure on the Speakers is much greater. So there's a lot more work to do and a lot more, um, well, a lot more to keep your wits about, basically, because you've got people coming in uh, in yesterday's case, from Northland to Bluff, basically. 
So you'll, I mean, obviously Trevor Mallard is the speaker. He will conduct the role. He'll be the most prominent face uh, that people will recognise as the Speaker of the House. Is your job uh, a backup to that or does the Speaker give you certain uh, debates or committees to, to chair and preside over? No. Basically, my job is to is to fill duty in the House and, uh, and so I was, in fact... Uh, well, not sworn in so much as um, appointed at um, three o'clock on Tuesday, and at five o'clock I was uh, managing the affairs of the house. So, so basically, you do duty. So, I, I think I do two and a half hours a day, basically, uh, chairing the house, or, or, or as speaker of the house, or chair of the committees. And so, last night, for example, we had a, uh, the night before last, at least, we had a chair, um, a, a um, committee to chair, and that's different than the speaker's role. So. So yeah, that's that's about the role I have. I certainly don't have any role in turning the sprinklers on or uh, anything like that. Well, that, that like, I mean, uh, you, you, you were uh, quite clear in an article I, I read uh, that uh, turning the sprinklers on was perhaps not the most helpful thing that the Speaker could have done. Are you expected to carry out your duties as uh, a chair of a meeting, uh, etc., the way Trevor Mallard would, or are you still allowed to use your own discretion? Oh, no, I think we can use our own discretion for sure. And, and I think he sets a bit of a standard for the House. And to, and to be fair to Trevor, some of the things he's done in Parliament have been very good. Uh, I think it's improved the operation of Parliament. And uh, some of the things he's done, I don't necessarily agree with, but that'll be, he won't agree with me either. So I think that's how it works, basically. But, but yeah, it's, it's, you don't have to agree. And, and every, every speaker or assistant speaker, to some extent, stamps his or her own, uh, um, I guess, personality, whatever you want to put it, on, on the way the House operates. Um, I mean, you've always been quite anti the sort of the, the, the conf- conflict-style politics that perhaps uh, some of your previous leaders of the National Party were um, more in favour of. Uh, Chris Luxon uh, does appear to be uh, a bit more respectful of uh, the, the government and, and more constructively critical, one might argue. Um, so the opportunity for tempers to get raised in the House are perhaps not as high as they used to be, but is it in your intention to try and remove some of that confrontational politics if it rears its head again? I think to some extent that the, I, I think it's a very interesting role because I, I go back to my role as the mayor of Manawatu and, and I think the consensus, you, if you gain a consensus you'll get support and so, so whilst people might step out of line every now and again you often don't even have to reprimand them uh, <laughs> to bring them back into line and I think that I think that's an individual personality thing and that's how you run the house. So, yes, I definitely would. And, and I think I'll naturally encourage that in the opportunities I get. I might not get that many opportunities because if the house gets back to normal, of course, uh, it might all change again. But um, And that might not happen either. And um, We might always run uh, the house uh, in a sort of hybrid standard where some of us are remote and some of us aren't. But, and that saves a lot of money, actually, when you think about it. But, it, but I think that you... you and, Inevitably, just your own personality um, then uh, influences the behaviour in the house to some extent. Mm. Um, moving on, Wednesday was uh, well quite a dark day in New Zealand's history, I'd say. Um, although I, I don't know what your opinion is, were, were, did the police uh, conduct themselves appropriately for uh, clearing the illegal occupation? 
Look, I, I, mean, I agree with you for a start, uh, Fraser. I, I don't think I remember a worse day in New Zealand's history. And I go back, of course, to the Springbok tours. Uh, um, that was pretty. That was pretty dark at times. But and to the Vietnam uh, protests, of course, which are even uh, further back. So um, I've been around. For, I'd, I've never participated to any great extent, but I've certainly taken an interest in them. And I think so. I think from that perspective, it was a very dark day. I, I thought and had the opportunity, good or bad to uh, watch a little bit of the action. Um, I suppose it was action. And I thought the police were, were hugely restrained. Um, I think they were absolutely incited uh, and very restrained. And I thought they did a pretty good job. You know, inevitably there'll be criticism of one or two of their actions, but you put yourself in their position where you've got gas cylinders and all sorts of things being thrown at you from a, <laughs> well, a fair bit of pace on too. Uh, and they were under, you know, they were under threat the whole time. So they had to conduct themselves uh, in a pretty good manner. And I thought it was a I'm very unfortunate, but nonetheless, I think the police did a very good job. I was quite struck by some of the footage in how few people in the the, the protest encampment looked like genuine protesters uh, by the time the police started closing in. Everyone was just... It looked to me, and this is my opinion, not necessarily that of Manawatu People's Radio or its associates, that it was just a bunch of troublemakers that were left over and it was only going to go one way. Well, yes, I, I think to some extent that's right. And once the police started to warn them in the morning what was happening, you could see protesters leaving very quickly. And uh, and I, I've obviously, um, despite what some of my constituents would tell you, have talked to a lot of these people, uh, both in the electorate and in Wellington, because you can't avoid them in the street. And a lot of, of I suppose you'd, I'd call them my people, but people from my part of, of New Zealand, attended the protests in good faith and left pretty quickly because they weren't comfortable with what they saw. And I think that happened a fair bit. And I think that was the unfortunate thing about this protest, because I think it probably started with good intention, but certainly ended in a, in a very unfortunate way. There was a speculation that a lot of the the, the, the radical right uh, and and some conspiracy theorists were, were basically uh, bringing people over to their side with the, the close proximity and just the, the, the nature of the conversations that were happening in the protest space. Uh, these people will be feeling more empowered now. Yes, they've been moved off parliament grounds, but... Uh, they've all seen their their friends and fellow thinkers. This is not going to be the end of this, is it? Well, I'm afraid it might not be, but it was a very interesting interview I heard uh, yesterday morning with Andrew Costa, um, who um, I have to say I've got some more respect for, having seen the actions of his police force uh, on Wednesday. Um, uh, it was a very interesting interview where, where he thinks that um, they know they know most of the protagonists, and so I think that they've always been aware of a large number of them and, and, and they've got protests in, you know, four or five different parts of New Zealand, Picton, Christchurch, um, Auckland, uh, all of which have seemed to have diminished since Wednesday. So hopefully, hopefully it will um, just ease off a bit. And I think that the real issue about the mandates is much different than what this protest turned into. And so I think that that's a separate issue which I think needs to be dealt with and the government will deal with that in due course, hopefully. Uh, going back to uh, our first topic of conversation as Assistant Speaker of the House of Representatives, uh, Trevor Mallard was saying that there may have to be uh, some sort of fencing or wall built around the precinct so that it can be locked down thoroughly in the future if something like this happens again. Is that something that you agree with? Oh, look, I think it would be very unfortunate if it got to that. Uh, the, the precinct is reasonably easy to keep people out of now, uh, uh, provided we shut the gates. And so I think that's the issue that we've got. But 
I also think that, that protesters and, and everybody, I think it's the people's place, basically, and I think I'm, I'm very keen for people to be able to walk through the grounds of Parliament. It's a pretty amazing place to walk through. It and is, I, I yeah. Very cool. Um, we are here with uh, MP for Rangitiki, Ian McKelvey, um, also Assistant Speaker of the House of Representatives now, so you'll be able to see him on the telly uh, on uh, uh, Parliament TV a little bit more often, no doubt. Um, if you want to listen to this or previous editions of the Catch-Up series, just head to the website npr.nz forward slash show forward slash catch-up. Um, turning to your electorate, and I don't think we've spoken to you since the new bus service is in place. Uh, have you had a chance to use it yet? <laughs> no, I haven't, but I do think that's the way of the future to some extent. Uh, and, and I know even the north, I've sta- I'm starting to get, well, I'm not starting, but we're starting to get some bus services in unusual places. And I do think that, you know, when I was young, uh, a child, uh, Tangamoana had a worker's bus, a shopper's bus and a school bus. All went to Palmerston North in the mornings and all came back in the afternoon. And, you know, we may well get back to that one day because... If we can get the buses running efficiently and they can get people to where they want to go, then then they're great services. Indeed. Um, let's turn to the pandemic. Um, it, it seems that there is becoming more and more of a, of a divide in thinking uh, between government and opposition. Uh, Chris Luxon uh, has credited the government with the initial response, but now that sort of trench or gully between the, the thoughts is, is, is starting to grow. Um it's going to, it all comes down to the mandates, ironically, which is what the protesters were protesting. Um, Jacinda Ardern has pointed out that the the mandates will ease when we get over the hump, over the peak of uh, new cases every day. Um, and we're nowhere near where the modelling said we were going to be, but we're still getting well over 20,000 new cases a day. Uh, it seems like it's going to be a while before those mandates lift. Well, it's very hard to know... Um because I think, firstly, we're not testing uh, because we simply haven't got the capacity to. Uh, so we haven't been getting test results back. So people then get put off getting tested. So I think there's a large number of people not getting tested that otherwise might have. So, so I think that's not entirely true. That's not entirely true, though, because the, the, whilst the government, the, well, actually, Bloomfield has admitted that the PCR testing numbers were overestimated. Um, that we're, we're on to rat tests now. I mean, I, I went to get uh, a test uh, last week uh, and wasn't even offered a PCR. We're on to the rat tests now. Yeah, to a large extent, we are because they simply can't keep up with the other tests, uh, the PCR tests. But um, I, and they're, and they're, apparently they're not quite as accurate. But um, I've got to say, I've had a few of them. So I've never had COVID. Um, I've had a few of these rat uh, tests, and uh, and well, they don't find COVID in me, so they must be <laughs> they must be partly accurate. <laughs> but but no, well, I think the I think what puts people off very quickly is if they think they're going to go and get a test, and then five days later they've got a result. They're not going to go back for a test. And I think that's the issue we've got that people. It's very difficult for for the average person to keep up with the changes and 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 for start the change in traffic lights and what that means, but also in all, all the other issues. If you put off something, you put off for a long time. It takes a long time to turn around. So I think we're going to see large sectors of our community, unfortunately, because I think it's not good for us, not getting tested. So I think the number of COVID cases we've got daily is probably only a percentage of what we've actually got. Yes, I agree with that. It's probably much higher, but um, some people are just, are just asymptomatic as well and, and therefore don't think they need one. Well, many, I think. Many people are, I think. 
Um, so, with this, this latest version. Yes. Uh, so Ashley Bloomfield has uh, admitted to overestimating uh, the PCR testing numbers. Um, is this as uh, serious an issue for him? I mean, should his head roll as a result? Because, I mean, he's been seen pretty uh, much like a superhero up until this moment. Uh, I don't think his head should roll at all. I think he's been manipulated by the government because of its own... Uh, at times, ineptitude. And if you look at the way they went about ordering the rat tests, I mean, that was just extraordinary. And so that, they've effectively influenced a lot of decisions the Ministry of Health have had to make. So I don't think you could blame uh, Ashley Bloomfield at all. I think it's the Ministry and the Minister, or well, the Minister's fault, not the Ministry's fault. Because I think these, these decisions have been largely political. Mm. Um, I'm assuming whilst, you know, uh, you are the opposition to government, you have to hold government to account and, and criticise where where necessary. I'm assuming we're all thoroughly on the same page with regards to sanctions of Russia following their invasion of Ukraine. Yes, and if anything, I think the, the National Party have come out in a much stronger position than probably the government is in, but, but that often happens with this type of thing, and you'd have seen the opposite happen at a time when we were in government and Labour were in opposition. But, yes, I, I think, well, Russia's been almost unilaterally um, uh, um, scolded, I suppose you'd call it, by the United Nations, and, and I just think it's an extraordinary situation. It's very extraordinary and very scary because um, Vladimir Putin has, uh, and I don't, I don't think I'm paraphrasing too much, but threatened to use nuclear weapons if he feels like other countries are retaliating on Ukraine's behalf. Arguably, uh, the sanctions that have been imposed is a retaliation of sorts. Should we be worried? Oh, I think we certainly need to be worried, and it's interesting because, uh, um, you know, Britain's been very concerned about Russia for many years now, and um, and obviously they had information that, that uh, then perhaps gets shared with New Zealand, but certainly they've been concerned about it for a long, long time. So I think we've got very good reason to be worried, and and uh, I just think it shows what happens when when uh, power um, is, is in too small a number of people's hands, and that's really dangerous, and we've seen that throughout the African continent over the years, and and now we're seeing it in Russia. How, uh, f- well, frustrating is probably the wrong word, but New Zealand is such a small country. Uh, we've basically just got to watch this play out. We have pretty much no influence or say in, in what the outcome of this is going to be doing. No, not really. And you see, our trade with Russia is, is very small. Um, and and what, it is, well, what trade we do have often isn't direct. So it's not directly from New Zealand companies. It's through us, the, the third party. So, so no, we have got very little influence on in what happens in Russia. Uh, the the uh, other side of that uh, sort of equation, though, is that we are obliged, I think, to join in the rest of the world in imposing the sanctions. But the sanctions that we're imposing will have a knock-on effect to people in New Zealand as well. We're already seeing the oil prices skyrocket, and the price at the pump is frankly ludicrous. Uh, that's going to impact everyone who's trying to get to work or trying to run a farm or trying to run some sort of business. Um, these sanctions will have knock-on effects at a time when we really don't need that, do we? Oh, totally. And, of course, some of us are old enough to remember Carlos days uh, for the very same reason, uh, almost the very same reason, and... <laughs> Imagine that our anti-mandate protesters, if they had to put their car in the garage on a Thursday, <laughs> wouldn't be too good. <laughs> well, it's a, well, there may be positives then. Um, 
Turn, turning the, a bit of news that came out uh, last week, I think, which I thought was quite interesting, is the CEO of Palmerston North City Council, uh, Heather Schotter, uh, I believe her last day on the job is next week because she is moving to, I think, the Department of Internal Affairs to help with the government's transition to the new Three Waters model, which I thought was still being discussed and Helen Warboys was headed down with Communities for Local Democracy and down to Wellington to incite a change to the plan um, but actually it seems like things are just going to go ahead Well I think it's the government's intention to move things forward and, and like with the health uh, um, reforms which they certainly will move ahead uh, they've got to appoint people to those roles and, and, uh, and the, in the case that they do go ahead and so I think yeah, I noticed that with interest Heather's I think now the chief executive of the, of the group setting it up which will be very interesting but uh, you know, some of those water reforms, are irrespective of uh, who's the government, will will definitely need to go ahead, actually. But a lot of them uh, we clearly disagree with. And so there are a number of our councils and that, 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 that group's led by Helen Warboys. So, well, well, I mean, is this going to form one of the, the first sort of policy statements from the new National uh, Party as they prepare for election? Um, because you, the, the blanket statement was, if the government imposes three waters, we'll overturn it and put things back the way they were. If you're saying some of the reforms need to go through, is there going to be a more nuanced response from the National Party moving forward? Well, I don't think we ever said we'd put things back the way they were. Um, we certainly don't like the model that's been proposed by the government, and uh, and that's the issue the councils have got to. Most of the councils, uh, even the councils in Helen's group, are keen on some sort of water reform. Uh, they just uh, they're just very nervous, and I totally agree with them about their assets effectively being confiscated uh, and them having no say in the future. Because the big risk of having no say in the future is that if you want to develop a section in fielding and you've got to go to a central water body and you're developing sections of Palmerston North or Wellington at the same time, who are they going to serve first? I think that's the real concern that I would have, and I'm sure that's the concern of smaller councils about as well. If, if, the, if that's one of the concerns, might I suggest reforming the IRD so that that's regional as well, instead of you know, having to phone up a national, national place and, and, and wait for a considerably long time to ask simple questions? Because, I mean, that, 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 that argument doesn't seem to make much sense. Centralisation seems to be the no, way no, to go with a lot of things. No, it's not about answering questions, about getting service. That's a, there's a different thing between getting service on the phone and actually having to have uh, action taken to implement stuff. And that's the real problem. You see, if you look at the challenges councils have got now, getting uh, getting uh, development undertaken and getting their um, infrastructure in place, these these decisions are now going to be taken out of the council's hand and handled by, handled by something, in, in our case, probably in Wellington. Uh, and in Gisborne's case, somewhere in Wellington. Now, if, if uh, anyone thinks that those people are going to serve Gisborne as well as they serve Wellington, then, then I think they need to take a look at what happens with the central government. <laughs> and actually one of the reasons for this protest, because we looked at the protest, a large number of those people were provincial. They feel left out of decision, the decision-making process by central government. But that's an issue as old as time, though, isn't it? And it doesn't just relate to, to, to water. Oh, I, think, I think in New Zealand it's not as old as time, because I think if you look at New Zealand's history, <laughs> New Zealand for a large part of its history was run by the provinces, not by the central and it's now changed completely to where where things are being pulled to the centre all the time, and so you get little communities like Martin and, and Taumanui and uh, and even Fielding uh, 
completely left out of the decision-making process with no ability to influence what happens to them. And that's what's really annoying people. And that's what caused uh, some of the anti-vaccine mm. stuff because they just they didn't trust central government. And so I think the big issue is that we've got to still retain a form of local democracy that enables us to get, a, to get what we require to develop our communities. But you don't disagree, and I think we've talked about this before, but it bears repeating, you don't disagree with the uh, intent of Three Waters reform with regards to water standards, etc.? Well, certainly the water standards have been taken care of by the water regulator, which we fully support. Uh, because the Ministry of Health tried to operate that in the past. In my time in local government, they were absolutely hopeless uh, at doing that and had no ability to, to um, set a standard. So that's taken care of. <laughs> the real issue now is how we deliver it and how we get it uh, managed well locally. And if you look at our councils, some of them are very good, some of them are not. Uh, and so, so that's the issue the government's trying to address. And we think there's a better way of doing it than centralising it to Wellington or to, to Hamilton or wherever. One of the other big uh, reforms that the government is putting through is the new uh, health system, um, uh, replacing the DHBs. Um, Is this going to work for your electorate? Um, Particularly, I'm thinking of Palmerston North City Hospital. Uh, Jimmy Ellingham from Radio New Zealand did a story the other day, uh, an elderly woman having to wait over 24 hours in the emergency department before she was seen. She was triaged, but before she could get access access to a bed and some form of treatment. The target, apparently, is that you're meant to be able to see 90% of all patients within six hours. So they're obviously failing. Um, Will this new health reform actually lead to some pretty wide-sweeping changes that are needed in Palmerston North City Hospital? One could very easily argue that the, the Labour government's decision to abandon targets for all of the public services has led to that situation, and I think I'm probably right in arguing that. Uh, so that's the first thing you could easily argue. The second thing is I think, uh, I think inevitably there is need for change in the health sector. Our argument is that they're changing at a time when the health sector is under absolutely significant pressure, and we don't know the extent of the pressure, or we didn't know uh, a year ago, the extent of the pressure it may come under as a result of COVID. That's really our biggest argument with this thing, is it's just a very unfortunate time to be plunging a health system under stress and a health system under stress and into um, a whole lot of reform. Very good. Uh, Ian McKelvey, MP for Rangitiki, thank you for joining us on the catch-up this morning. Pleasure as always, Fraser. Thank you. There we go. Ian McKelvey uh, joining us for the catch-up. Remember, if you want to listen to this or previous editions of the catch-up series, just head to the website npr.nz forward slash show forward slash catch-up. Enjoy your weekend. Uh, Join us next week uh, on Monday at half past eight on the catch-up. We'll hopefully speak to someone from CEDA, the Central Economic Development Agency. Haven't actually teed anyone up yet, though, so if I'm not here on Monday, you know why. Uh, On Tuesday, hurrah. Horizons Regional Council, hopefully speaking to Rachel Keedwell, chairperson of the Regional Council. On Wednesday, as usual, we turn our attention to the media uh, and we'll be speaking to Matthew Dallas from the Manawatu Standard. On Thursday, hopefully, we'll be catching up with Mayor Helen Warboys from Manawatu District Council. And on Friday at half past eight on the catch-up, we will speak to Tangi Utikeri, Mama o Parimata o Papayoya, uh, MP for Palmerston North. That is it for the catch-up for this Friday and indeed this week. Uh, join us at half past eight tomorrow, uh, on Monday uh, for the next edition. Enjoy your weekend. Bye for now.
If you're a fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the Kiwi Fruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show.